call me a terrorist. I consider myself a liberator. A teacher. A teacher. <laughs> I'm so glad they brought Ben Kingsley back for Shang-Chi. I know. Shang-Chi? They'll never see me coming. Yeah, I bet you wish you didn't see. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm lost. Have you ever seen those? Um... No. No, hey, let me... Let me... <laughs> what is the show about the weird obsessions? My weird uh, addiction or something? Yeah. There are actually people that are sexually attracted to vehicles. I, mean, I bet it's really inconvenient for everybody. I saw a great comment. I was peeking the thread as I went home last night. <laughs> One of the top comments was, things were real awkward between me and my car on the drive home last night. Oh, man, I can't even talk. This is going to be a shitty podcast. I can already tell. But I'm going to carry that weight. So, we just saw a movie. No ordinary movie. Depends on how you ask. Well, no, it doesn't. Because <laughs> even if you weren't thrilled with it, it was something unusual. It wasn't as crazy as the buzzword, buzzfeed outlets of the indie film circuit would have you believe. That is true. It was well made. Yeah. 100% well made. Some really cool shots. What are we talking about today? Well, Stephen, you and I just watched Titane which is a French film. Not to be confused with Titan A.E. Or Titans. Or even Titan. Or Titan. <laughs> <laughs> and Titan, if that is how you pronounce it, I don't really know for sure. It Nobody knows. We Titan. don't know. Yeah, it's a French film distributed by Neon that had a lot of hype surrounding it because it is very unusual. It is a uh, kind of a drama thriller, indie art house film with body horror elements and... Uh, Strong thematic material, I think, is what the ratings board would call it. There's some pretty graphic imagery. Yes. And also just thematic material. I don't know. That's true. Kind of kind of kooky stuff. But there's also, it's very layered thematically. There's a lot to unpack, but I don't know if we'll get through all of that in a single podcast. Who made this movie? Who's right. the director? Yeah, we'll get into a little bit of numbers and letters for you here. This film did very well in Cannes. Con. Her name, the director, writer, auteur, is Julia Ducournau. Ducournau. You want to read that name for me? Ducournau. Yeah, she's she's French. And she's been working for about 10 years. She's done some smaller stuff. And then she made her feature film called Raw, which was in a similar vein as Titan. It's kind of a small horror film, if you want to use that term loosely. It's about a young woman studying to be a vet who develops a craving for human flesh. It was actually played by the actress. Okay. Played by the actress who was uh, Justine in this movie. Actually, she had the same name. It'd be funny if she was the same character in Julia's mind. But it was the actress who uh, was killed by Alexia after they were making out. Do you remember that? That's the actress from Raw. okay. Well, now the cat's out of the bag, and... uh, she also directed two episodes of Servant, which is Shyamalan's Apple TV show, Servant. Weird. But uh, she clearly has a type of story that she likes to tell. She'd been working on Raw for a long time, and towards the end of that production cycle, she developed, started developing the story for Titan because she wanted to tell a story that focused around a few themes, specifically love and unconditional love, because that was something she played with the idea of in Raw, but she wanted to really focus in on it here for her next story, her next film. So she made Titan. I don't know what other inspirations she was drawing on, but there's a lot of stuff. Kind of like Possessor last year, it it had some hints of Cronenberg and some of the body horror stuff that was yeah. in there. 
I mean, genre-wise, I would probably say this is body horror, family drama. That's, yeah. So imagine that. And it's easy to oversell because of the hype and the buzz that this is like a horror film or something, but it's really not. And it is yeah. it is mostly a family drama, if you can call it that, at, at its heart. Yeah. Once you get past the psychotic nature <laughs> of everything, of everything, it's very much just turns into a movie about two people who are searching for connection desperately or just are in desperate need of connection because of their circumstances and they find each other and uh vicariously they sort of pour out their love and life on each other should i give like a two minute rundown of the plot <laughs> or no i'm just thinking of what that'll sound like i mean i but feel yeah, like yeah <laughs> no yeah you should you should so we just did the Malignant podcast, right? And that turned into more of a 20-minute segment of me trying to convey the insanity of that film to Steven. But I'm going to keep it tight this time because we're on a bit of a schedule. Uh, but there, actually, that's a great comparison film because uh, <laughs> of how crazy it was. Sure. So this film, if I can keep it under two minutes, here's what it, here's what's happening. So there's a young woman who was in an accident as a child, in a car accident, and had a metal plate surgically put into her skull which is not really why she's psychotic. Maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, but she is a, she's a psycho. She grows up to be a, uh, basically a crazy person <laughs> who, yeah. does, who does, has this uh, weird relationship with her family. There might have been some previous trauma there, perhaps sexual in nature. And she is now a dancer at weird warehouse car shows that happen. Not exactly sure what the nature of those are because it seems like the women are the goods more so than the cars. And that's what she sort of does. She's a dancer. Who dances on cars promiscuously? <laughs> oh, this is tough. Uh, she then kills people for a few minutes. <laughs> Everything he's saying is true. <laughs> <laughs> There's a man who's coming up to her right after her show for an autograph and physically assaults her, and then she kills him via a hairpin sort of tool to the ear canal, straight to the brain. And uh, she wrestles with that. It's hinted at that she has killed a few other people and she is sort of a serial killer now. <laughs> she kills a few more people and then has to go on the run after setting her parents' home on fire and killing her parents. Well, you're missing one <laughs> insanely key ingredient. What? She has sex with a car. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. And if you didn't hear me, she has sex <laughs> with a car. I love this movie. Okay. Yeah. And becomes pregnant. After she kills the guy that assaults her. By the car. She goes to have I sex. I can't believe you forgot that part. There's a lot to it. There's a lot. That's true. That's true. And what's, what's interesting about this movie is you could skip that detail and still tell the story of the movie because it becomes so much a family drama <laughs> that you just forget that all this crazy crap went down in the beginning or like in the first third of the movie. Well, we've. We've surpassed her two-minute marker. <laughs> We're only in the first act. But yeah, she's inside of a car, and the car is on hydraulics. Okay, and- well, just <laughs> move on. Move on. <laughs> move on to what happens after that. Okay, so moving forward. She's pregnant with a car baby. She is pregnant with a car baby. And, and all that other stuff is true. <laughs> she's, she's a murderer, and she's on the run uh, because she's wanted now. Yeah, end act one. She's a fugitive, a felon, a serial killer, and she is in some kind of a transit station, bus station or something, and she, in order to escape from the police who are hunting her, thinks her best course of action is to stage herself as 
a boy who's been missing for 10 years. (laughs) She sees this wanted, she sees these posters around of missing kids who are being aged up. So, (laughs) so (laughs) stop laughing. It's very serious. So she's going to pretend to be one of these missing children returned after 10 years in order to escape the police. <laughs> so she goes into the transit station bathroom and like uh, cuts her hair, dyes her hair, shaves her eyebrows, beats her nose so that it's broken, dis- disfigures herself to be unrecognizable. <laughs> she straps she, she straps this bandage around her chest to... <laughs> <laughs> she tries to hide her uh, breasts and newly pre- pregnant stomach. <laughs> I just want to say right now that I really enjoyed this film. <laughs> and I'm laughing, but it doesn't diminish that experience. So she... Her newly pregnant stomach. <laughs> sure. Yeah. The nature of which we're un- unclear, but she's been bleeding motor oil. <laughs> so the insinuation is that the car impregnated her. Anyway... So she comes out of this place and she goes to the authorities and poses as this child who's returned and who's now in her 20s. The child is a boy. Yeah, pretending to be a boy. The authorities call in our second character, Vincent Linden, a 50-year-old man who is really at the end of his rope emotionally because of his missing child. It's been 10 years. And whether or not it's clear to the audience if he knows that she is his son or not, he basically says, yes, this is my son, and he takes her home. Cue act two and three of the movie, which is her uh, living as that person now. And having all this trauma and psychotic nature from her previous life, and this man is now sort of acting as this father figure that she never had, and probably, most likely, filling the void in her life that she never had from her own father or Mm -hmm. parents. And then she's also filling the void that Vincent had since he lost his son, his one and only son. And then he lost his wife after. And it's clear that they don't have a good relationship. Yeah. Anyway, so the rest of the movie is that drama is he brings, Vincent brings the lead character into his life. And he's a firefighter and an EMT. And at that point, it feels like it's more his story than hers. Yeah. It's him grappling with, it's made more clear over time that he, he fully understands that it's this this woman is not his son but he is so stricken by grief that he he needs something so desperately to be able to cope that he uh he accepts her for what she is or as his son and at that point there are still elements some trace elements of body horror and the film ends with her basically giving birth to a hybrid human machine child i suppose it's not really a high. It's, it's like a baby with, with metallic, with like Wolverine skeleton. Basically, yeah, it's got like spinal cerebr, like a metal spine or something. I don't know. It's it's about the journey, not the destination. So, but yeah, this is a really interesting movie. There are some more ambiguous elements to the plot, to the narrative, as in terms of like what's literally happening or what's not literally happening. But as for the themes, this is a pretty self-evident set of themes. You know, stuff like gender identity, gender norms masculinity, potentially like rape and and the effect, uh, the way that plays out in society and in the mind of the victim. And then, like I said at the beginning, more on the surface, some of the ways that plays out is through family and through love and unconditional love, what that means, what that looks like. Because Vincent accepts Alexia or Adrian, as he calls her 
is his son's name. And then he finally calls her Alexia. Yeah, at the very end. And that was like the moment where he accepts her, not as he sees her, not as his son, but as who she is. Yeah. Finally. It's a powerful moment. Gabe, as I already tried to say, he really liked this movie. Yeah. I liked it fine. I thought it was well made. You got a little hyped up on the hype. Well, even you were like, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. I said it was fucked up. I said I'd never seen anything like it. I didn't say it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. Because I like crazy shit. And I had no idea what this was going to be like going into it. But And so I was like, oh, he doesn't know how to describe it to me. It's going to be crazy. And everyone, <laughs> seen, everyone that's seen it is like... It's not what you think. It's insane. It's anyway, it's not that crazy. It definitely has crazy elements, like really nuts, bonkers elements that if you weren't prepared for it, you would be like, oh, that was weird. I'm surprised more people didn't walk out of the theater, (laughs) to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And she is like, also, I mean, if you're offended by nudity, she is nude for like more than half of it. You probably should be listening to this podcast if you're offended by nudity. (laughs) We're naked right now. Well, one of us is. <laughs> um, with all that aside, though, you know, I, I thought it was extremely well made. Du Corneau is such a good filmmaker, just very, very talented. This thing was beautifully directed, apart from all the, the crazy shit that happens. Do you want to talk about, like, some of the other themes? I know, because you were talking about, I was pulling out some stuff about yeah all the family and them filling each other's voids. <laughs> <laughs> that was low-hanging fruit. Yeah, all the gender stuff, I think, was at the forefront. I didn't even really think about that until you pointed it out. Yeah, I saw this movie last night, and then I wanted to see it again with Steven to get his reaction firsthand. Well, I wanted to see it again anyway, but seeing it a second time really drove home the idea of it's like a commentary on gender identity and gender norms because, I mean, now more than ever, that is something that is at the forefront of social consciousness. I mean, amidst everything else that's going on in the world, like the, you know, race stuff, uh, political stuff, economic stuff, the expansion of the idea of, of gender identity and gender norms is something that's been really important in recent years. So I, I think that was definitely on Julia's mind when she was telling the story. And it played out pretty viscerally throughout a lot of the film. And you, you can take it a lot of different ways, like her pretending, you know, her covering up her her more feminine side to to fit into this life or the way she interacted with the, the firemen because there is a lot of dancing yeah dancing there's a scene where she dances and all the firemen think that she's also a man or a boy and then she gets up and dances pretty provocatively and it's yeah. almost comedic cause that was it's like yeah that was dancing comes up i think at least four different times in this movie as a as a form of self-expression and character it's like as a narrative device so, for instance, the first time we see Alexia in the intro, right after a scene of her as a child in the accident, it cuts to her as an adult and she's doing her dancing and it is like the embodiment of her character being... In the beginning? Yeah. It's kind of like stripping. It wasn't really, it wasn't stripping. It was These just... These women, and this is like a real thing, women are like sort of paid to, to kind of showcase the car. They're like modeling the cars. Yeah. You're attracted to women, the cars and the women. So she's one of these women that kind of dances on top of the car to kind of sell the the car at the car show, you know. Yeah, and then it happens later where Vincent is dancing with her as his son. And then it happens again with Vincent, and then it happens with, at the end, like Stephen said, Alexia, as Adrian, gets up on a truck, and even though she's dressed like a man, she does her very feminine dance and kind of like, no one really knows how to process that as they're watching it, which I thought was really hilarious. 
it's kind of funny to watch. Yeah, whenever you make these like macho men, like you you put them in a in a position like that where they're uncomfortable and they're like, uh, and there's this element of sexuality that they had never, or perhaps had like suppressed or something. I just think it's so funny. But yeah, dancing in this movie is is really important, and I haven't even really fully processed <laughs> everything that I've seen in the last uh, eighteen hours regarding this movie. But it is really interesting, and I, I it's been a long time since I've seen a movie use the more physical elements like that to tell part of the story, uh, and it's shot in such a way. Julia and her team, they were able to tell the story through the camera work, both the dancing scenes and and the ones that aren't dancing really well. The characterization. And the music's part of that too, like the music that's playing in those scenes. And the one where he's dancing with his son, it was... She's not there by the zombies. The zombies. And it has... There's this energy in that scene that's... It's almost manic. It's like Vincent is coping with this new reality because he... Like I said, he kind of knows that she's not his son. And then he like he starts to he brings her into the dance and it becomes more physical and then he starts to slap her around uh, well, like yeah. playfully yeah and then sh- she reciprocates and it's like he's trying to get this physical expression out of her that she's she's like suppressing or hiding. She also didn't speak for a majority of the time that she was with him. Yeah, I think in that scene he was like trying to get her to open up. Yeah, you know? not just in language but in yeah in a physicality and then she does and he's like he it's kind of a small victory for him he was but, drinking a lot of wine and yeah <laughs> but then she leaves and comes back and she's wrestling with that relationship because she can't really leave she's got nowhere to go she's essentially stuck here with this guy and she comes back and like almost tries to kill him but doesn't and that's where their relationship kind of launches from true yeah and like steven said they become closer in that that weird father-child relationship blossoms from that point it's his different levels of accepting her for who she is and then her and then she's got her own thing she's like she's wrestling with that relationship but she's also dealing with her pregnancy that's why i mentioned there's like that angle of the film where with like not just the gender stuff but like her femininity and the idea of the pregnancy and what that means in society and almost like from a parasitic point of view at first she like she's like what is this she doesn't want anything to do with it but as it starts to grow and it like moves a little bit in a weird, scary way. <laughs> and then she starts to, it seems like embrace the life, whatever it is inside of her. The way it's shot when she's like having that sexual experience inside the Mustang <laughs> or whatever car it was. Yeah. It seems like it on a second viewing to me that it could have even been an internalization of like a potential sexual assault because she was just accosted by that other guy that we mentioned who she killed. So you see this in a lot of movies. This is not a new idea of like this foreign presence in a woman's body. And that plays out really well in a lot of genre horror films because of what it is. And so that was one of the things that Julia played with here that I thought was really interesting. And then it comes back around at the end of the film because she does give birth to this thing with Vincent in the room. She says, please don't leave me. And he finally stays and calls her by her real name and then helps her deliver this crazy child an interesting thing is that she dies there, or seemingly dies, in childbirth. And I'm not sure what to make of that yet. But like I said, it feels like it's more Vincent's story at that point, because it's him finally coming to accept her and him and their relationship. And he is now, like, complete in a way. And now he has another child to kind of fill the void, you know? Yeah. Whatever that means or looks like, because if we're meant to take that part of the story literally, then there is, like, an actual hybrid baby that he is now in charge of it's weird 
<laughs> I love that sort of, uh, not ambiguous, but there's that surrealist aspect that I think when done right works really well. And it, like we mentioned earlier, it doesn't lean into that so much that it's not like batshit insane the whole time. And it only uses those moments sparingly. And I think that's what makes those moments so powerful and startling is because it's bookended by craziness. But there's the middle of this story is a very human and a very deep and intimate and true story. So true. It's very relatable. It's very easy to connect with. But And I think that's why it had such a strong response at these film festivals mm. like Cannes and it won the grand prize. And that's the more artistic crowd that yeah. it's, sometimes it's it's hard to take them seriously. But I think there is a, a truth and a reason why this film resonated with them. And it's because those people aren't used to the batshit insane stuff that we would have thought it would have been. But they think it's so crazy because they're not used to that kind of genre film. You know, the crazy Cronenberg style stuff that this kind of selectively picked from to flavor and embellish those elements of the story here. This is still a, a film that regular people can relate to, and then it's just made outrageous by those little extra things that would honestly turn a lot of people off. So I wouldn't recommend it to your average moviegoer. I briefly described it to some of my other friends, and they were like, yeah, we're okay. We don't need, <laughs> we don't need to see that. Yeah, I also wouldn't recommend it to everyone. Just people who, I mean, like, this is kind of how you pitched it to me before we left. He kind of said, if you care about extreme art house cinema and you want to try to see as much as you can of that, then you should definitely see it. And yeah. I was like, yeah. If you just want to experience something that is like not wholly original per se, but something that is like fresh and exciting and new, um, because there really aren't any movies like this, uh, or at least there haven't been in recent memory that tell the story in this way and so boldly, I guess, that mixes a lot of the classic campier elements of, you know, late 20th century genre film with deep and emotional, intimate story about family and those connections, unconditional love, and also have the stuff with gender, <laughs> the conversation around sex and gender and all that stuff. It tried to tackle a lot. And so, you know, your mileage may vary on how much you can get out of that, how much you think it did well. But I was delighted because it was weird. And that's something that it always draws me in. Yeah, you could have told the story a hundred ways, but this was a story that Julia wanted to tell. And I think I'm fully on board with her style. I really want to see Raw now because I've heard good things about that. And I'm excited to see what she does next. Yeah, same. And thanks Neon for bringing it to yeah. the Western, the far West, <laughs> to uh, the West Coast of the United States. So we get to see that. Anyway, I'm done gushing. That's okay. I love it when you nerd out. But yeah, that's Titan. And if any of that sounds interesting, go check it out. Yeah. Uh, I'm thankful that I saw it. I wasn't my favorite movie of the year. Well, thanks, Gabe, for uh, this recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how this episode will do. Here's one of the songs from Titan. Yeah. Well, no one told me about her, the way she lied. Well, no one told me about her, how many people cried. But it's too late to say you're sorry. How would I know? Why should I care? Please don't bother trying to find her. She's not there. Well, let me tell you about the way she looked, the way she acted, the color of her hair. Her voice was soft and 